0: Hey there, I'm Evan DeWald, and I'm joined by Tara Linsley, and this is Unpacked. We're unpacking life as messy people. So here, we do the things that we do the best. We tell stories, and we share life with each other. Sometimes life gets big and messy and full of failure and vulnerable moments, but we believe that sharing those things together helps us all to grow. So have a listen. Make sure to like and subscribe. Tara, this week on Unpacked, we get to talk to Ann Sims.
1: Yeah, Anne is a good friend of ours. She is an entrepreneur. She makes quilts and has her own business. She's a wife and a mom and a longtime member at Lake Ridge.
0: Okay, and this is um, one of the best things about her. She is very quietly changing the world and, and addressing social justice issues. And uh, so um, that's what a lot of what we're going to talk about today is kind of how does she see the world? How does she engage the world? And then how does she do the work of trying to make right things in her world? And what I love about her is she's a peacemaker. So she kind of does this in a very peaceful, kind of a gentle way. But occasionally she reminds remind you if, if, if you're off. So, um, and also, Anne's been at Lake Ridge for so long and has been one of these constant people in my life that reminds me of just what's important. What are we actually doing here so that we can stay on stay on target? So... Um, this is going to be a fun conversation and we're glad that you've decided to join us. So, uh, enjoy. Oh, well, there's Anne. Anne's
1: here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, uh, I'm kind of excited about doing this. So
2: <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little bit nervous. Are you? I never <laughs> thought that... I thought if I was ever on a podcast, it would be a quilting podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about quilting. Sure, what, what yeah. sort of <laughs> <we're->
1: <laughs> we don't know a lot about it, but <laughs> uh, that's okay.
0: Anyways. Anyways, so glad you decided to give us this chance uh, to hear a little bit. We have Anne mm-hmm. and uh, Anne has been, I, I got to start off. I'll just start off by telling you a little bit about I know about Anne. She has been a part of Lake Ridge since our very beginning. And if ever, if ever, whenever I started feeling overly discouraged about what was happening or maybe the speed at which Lake Ridge was growing or not growing, Anne would always remind me what this is really about, what we're mm. supposed to be doing. We all need that. And I sometimes need it like more than others. So <laughs> it's, it's been a, a real gift to have Ann always there to kind of, calmly remind me that we do the best we can for the people that that come Mm -hmm. and definitely right Dan there were some Sundays there it was like 15 of us and like 12 of us were a part of the service and it was kind of like oh man we did a lot of work and it feels like nobody came and I remember actually really specifically one of the Sunday nights when I was just like feeling a little on the low side (laughs) and and you were like There were 15 people here and you gave them your very, very best. It actually helped me to go home and calm down and just, just keep focused. So anyways, glad that you've decided to kind of join us on the podcast. So I think it'll be fun. Can, can you tell us like, just to kind of kick us off, like just a little bit about your story, a little bit about your, your life. And well,
2: I, I was born and grew up in small town, Alberta, Rocky mountain house and, uh, grew up there, um, going to a church and Christian school. So, you know, being that, that faith life was, was very big in, in my family. Um, married my high school sweetheart.
1: Hey, me too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, you know, when people say, when, where did you meet? Well, we met in math class. And so that's kind of cool. And we had a few kids along the way and we've, Lived in a few different communities. We started off in in uh, Roslyn, B.C., then came back to Alberta to Red Deer and then to Calgary. And then we went we moved up north to Norman Wells, had a little bit of culture shock there and then came back to Alberta. And, you know, all through that process, we were my husband is not he didn't grow up with with faith or church going. Um, So then we had to as a couple, we had to figure out what was important what we believed about, about God and and where church fit in to that whole conversation. And and we ended up here in Chestermere.
0: <laughs> so, um, and Norman Wells was like, for any listener who doesn't know where Norman Wells is, this is like Northern.
2: So we were just, just we were just a little South of the Arctic Circle um, on the banks, on the shores of the Mackenzie River. So when you look at the big map of Canada, there's two big lakes in Northwest Territories, and there's great slave lake which is where Yellowknife is on and there's great bear lake and we were just a little north of great bear lake
0: and i remember you like just to give people an idea of what it's like to live that far north i remember you were telling me you like ordered your your food and supplies like once a year twice a year
2: so it is it's a fly in fly out community so and then so in the summertime your groceries if you ordered a bulk or groceries, that came on the bar. Um, there was a winter road for a few months in the winter, and so if you bought a bulk order, it came in out on the winter road in the winter time. Food was expensive, hor- horribly expensive. If you bought it locally,
1: like what's an example of really expensive?
2: So a four liter of milk was easy 15 dollars. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so so I mean imagine because we had a you know we we had three growing boys and milk is an important part of kids diets and yeah so yeah huge huge deal i remember when we moved back to alberta and i went to the grocery store and so the fresh stuff is your your milk and your eggs and your bread and i went in and bought all three of those things and the grocery clerk said oh that'll be i don't know Was maybe eighteen bucks or something. Well, it's less than twenty dollars (laughs) anyway. And my chin, my chin dropped to the floor, and I'm like, "Oh, yeah, I can get used to this." And you're like,
0: (laughs) "Just wait, I'm gonna go back and get some more." (laughs) (laughs) It's a crazy thing, right? Because I think one of the things we don't talk about very often, even in Canada, is just how big Canada is, and the diversity that's represented in Canada, and even when we talk like geographically about our country was it 90 some odd percent of Canada lives in the lower half of the country. I, I think that's actually I made it like obviously someone could fact check me on this, but that leaves a whole lot of country to the north.
2: I can't remember the exact numbers, but I I, I would imagine it was about the the population of red deer lived north of 60. Wow. So that included what's now Nunavut and what was Northwest Territories.
1: Why did you guys move around so much?
2: It was my husband's job that it just goes with the oil patch that year. Mm. <laughs> there's going to be some moves a long way.
0: Okay. So Rocky Mountain House, little Anne growing up. What were you like when you were a little? Like if you had to describe yourself in a sentence or two,
2: well, I was, I was the fifth of six kids, what would be six kids. So there was between my oldest brother and myself, there was seven years and there was five of us in those seven years. Um, so we were very close in age, <laughs> busy household. And then 13 years later, my youngest sister was born into a house with uh, of teenagers. Yeah, I, I, I think I was a quiet kid growing up, um, a little bit shy, didn't want to stand out You know, I just wanted to blend in and yeah, so going to a Christian school, it was a small school, you know, our grade, there was, I think, five girls that, that started at the same time and went all the way through together. And then we went to a big public high school. My dad was an entrepreneur. And so he had a lot of different businesses. He owned a motel with a, with a partner. He had a real estate agency. He did people's taxes, involved in local politics. And he was known to be an ethical person, that he was fair and he was not out to gouge people um, money-wise. He helped older people, especially with their paperwork and wills and dealing with government red tape and that kind of stuff. One time he was helping an older couple and they didn't have a lot of money and, and he passed away and left his wife who was unable to function in society. He bought everything. He bought the groceries. He bought her clothes right from, you know, winter jackets to underwear. And she, she could not function on her own. And so he helped that family manage that after the husband passed away. And that, that made a big impact on me. Just thinking about women who are totally dependent on their spouse for everything. Yeah, that, that that was a big, big thing for me. My mom, she just turned 85 this summer. We often had extra kids in the house, sometimes for, you know, a couple days, sometimes for a whole summer, sometimes for a whole year. Sunday dinner time, there was always, <laughs> I don't know how many people were there. We always had, there was always friends over. It was always the place where, I remember my friends coming more to my house than me ever going to somebody else's house.
0: So I- one of the things we have observed about you, and part of the reason for a whole host of reasons, but one of the main reasons we wanted to talk to you was because you have you have come to be uh, a model type of person when it comes to social justice and, and being an activist for it. And and, I, and when I say model, I mean model because my observation, so outwardly, the way in which I have seen you advocate for lots of different topics has been through the process of a, of a pretty peaceful approach. Pr- pretty much like, I'm going to just put information out there. I'm going to inform you. And I'm going to calmly ask good questions. And you've always been good at asking good questions, whether it's around social justice issues or church-related issues or anything else for that matter. But I But I think that it's something that our world is missing right now. I have a couple of questions related to that that are maybe on this uh, maybe not so much on this but it's like have you come to see yourself <laughs> as a social justice activist and tagged onto that question how would you define uh what it means to be a social justice a- advocate
2: maybe i'll start with the last one and defining justice and, and justice traditionally it's 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 thought of as law and order in a civilized society And that's not really how I think of it. I think of it more as um, removing barriers to people who don't have the same access to things um, that many of us take for granted. And things like housing and education, financial infrastructure, Mm. those kind of things. And the Bible's full of that. It's it's full of it right from the very beginning. So that that was kind of that. that. That was built into their culture. And then when Jesus was on earth. Um, the things that made him angry and the things that that he did showed that he cared about those people that were on the outside of, of on the fringes of society. He cared about the lepers who were shunned and and weren't even allowed a place in the town. That's that's kind of when I think about so, social justice. That's kind of where I define it. For me, I you know, I have the example of my dad who, you know, he helped, he helped people and he didn't do it to, get, to make money and he didn't do it to um, cheat them or to, you know, if he, if he ended up being the executor on an estate, he didn't, he didn't take a big wad of the estate to do that. Mm-hmm. It was a service and he, you know, that was, that was important to him to be in a life of service. I'm not placard carrying, protest going person there is a role for that kind of thing. Like I don't like the conflict of it Mm -hmm. and I'm not a black and white person. I'm not a, this is right. And this is wrong. I can see a lot of shades of gray in, in situations. And that's kind of where, where I come from.
0: Like that's been one of my observations of you, but also of so many different like social justice issues is that there, there's a lot of gray. Mm -hmm. even in some ways like some of the broken systems that that I think need to be changed were created out out of what I would believe to be people who thought they were doing the right thing and there's so much nuance to so Mm -hmm. much of like what's going on and being able to see see truthfully what's really going on is hard work as as I see something that feels broken like I yeah you have that moment right where your heart is telling you something is broken here and there seems like good logic for for why it's why it's broken and why it was created a couple of weeks ago we did uh, an evening right where we were talking about justice and and you helped to inform a little bit of that evening and one of the main things we talked about was that justice means to make right and that and that we were made in the image of God to do to do the good thing to do the the right thing so to speak and yeah. so our sense of justice actually comes out of that we were created in the image of God and so God gave us this sense in our heart when something is wrong your sense to do to do justice and to try to make it right is a god-given spirit-led thing
2: well I, I think you hit the nail on the head there Evan about the the image of God and and when I was part of a ladies' Bible study at the time of 911. After that happened, we were challenged as a group to go to a local mall, sit there for an hour over our lunch and watch the people, do some people watching. And every person that you saw to look at them, look at the their full, look them in the eye if they looked at you and, and and mentally say in your head, God loves this person. They are made in the image of God. And it was so hard after nine eleven. It was a challenge for me personally, and um, there was so much anger and hate directed at um, people of Middle Eastern descent. Mm-hmm. And and to actually acknowledge, even if it wasn't verbally and out loud, that these people were also made in God's image and they were also people that God loved. Oh, that was a that makes a whole lot of difference when you're marginalizing somebody or you're. Um, grouping people together in you know that you're you're stereotyping people
0: yeah that's actually that's a great exercise I I think uh, one of the things that I've started to discover in particular around difference in religion in in the Mm -hmm. faith communities is as I began to do my own homework but also as I began to talk with people be open to hearing people of other faiths I started to realize just how much we have in common we have less that we disagree on and more that we agree on Mm -hmm. than we ever would be able to admit until we sit down and start talking about it.
2: You have to sit down and talk and listen. Listen more than talk. And that that was one of the things when, when we were up north, I became involved in the education system there because my kids were starting school. They were in elementary school. And Got on the local education committee, and then from there became a member of the school board. And the school board covered five communities. There, Norman Wells was one of them. And Norman Wells is really it's basically a southern community just transplanted up up north. It's a company town. It you know it was all most of the businesses were related to serving the 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 primary business there, which is the the oil company my husband worked for. But the other communities were traditional communities, and. First Nations people and that was the first time in my life that I that I saw First Nations people in positions of they were mayors they were band council chiefs they were you know running the local store they were running their own businesses they were providing food for their communities so it was it was really cool to be on that school board at that time because that was the mid-1990s um, they were closing down the residential school in Yellowknife. They were closing the residential school in Inuvik. And so we as a school board had to decide how we were going to deal with with that in our communities. You know, that was, that was one of those, those times where it was you have to sit back and listen. Because I wasn't going to be there in 10 years. I wasn't going to be there in 20 years. The people that were there are the ones that are going to have to live with those decisions. And those communities were not all in agreement. As a school board, we all agreed and made that vote to bring those, at that time, it's just high school kids back into the communities. I would say it was probably split pretty even that half of them still wanted their kids to go out to the bigger centers because they were worried about the kind of education they were going to get locally.
0: Even you, you actually just made a, an interesting uh, statement that I, I just want to point out, and that was that, you know, even in order to make some of these decisions, to have the self-awareness to identify that you are not going to have to live with the choices that were being made, and so you really do have to think with great wisdom. Then, well, what, what does this look like? How does this work? My my observation too is that it's like to 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 work towards any social change, social justice change, um, in so many ways, you have to you have to choose to place yourself in other people's shoes. So empathy becomes an important thing to to empathize and to obviously, like you said, listen to the stories and hear people out. I think so often we share our opinion on lots of different issues without recognizing that the outcome or the consequence of those, even the words we speak, are not going to be ours. The other thing I would say, too, that's a shift in our culture that I have seen in you in a good way is you have to think about the good of the, of the group and so much of like, not to hound on culture or anything like that right now, but, but in so many ways, the white culture has been taught mm-hmm. to take care of ourselves, And so even when you go into a environment, whether it's a school or a business or whatever, it's like, you, you're constantly thinking about, well, how is this going to affect me and mine? And mm-hmm. even when you go in saying something else, like, actually, I'm, I'm trying to point out something about somebody else, like a challenge. These, this people group are not being treated well, whatever, whatever. Uh, people don't even know how to respond to it. And you have been one of those people that have been constantly putting the other in front of both the faith community, but mm-hmm. but also your your community of friends. Mm-hmm. That The people we don't notice very often are the people that you have a gift to notice and and you peacefully place those people mm-hmm. in front without a great deal of fanfare and anger or aggression not something i'm great at but you you you've been very good at mm-hmm. it. i admire it about mm-hmm. you I, I think there's a place for both there there is a place for both i wonder for you like a little bit more about you then so mm. you come across all uh, very peacefully i think that has to do with your personality and all those kind of things mm. but i wonder is that true? Is that real? And like, what? <laughs> no. yeah, I want to know.
1: Don't say, is that true or real? No, but like no.
0: there's what we present. Okay. Which is a peaceful, calm approach. And then there's also what's actually happening inside of our spirit,
1: mm-hmm. inside
0: of our, our hearts and our bodies and all mm-hmm. of those kind of things. So I'm curious, like,
1: mm-hmm. does
0: Anne ever get really upset and mad
2: just ask my kids yeah.
0: just ask my kids
1: <laughs> or what does it feel like internally for you when uh, there's an injustice
0: you're so much nicer <laughs> to ask questions like
2: for me personally I'm, I'm not I'm not a person who has really deep lows and really high highs that's been me all my life and I don't know if it's because I'm you know number five of six kids and it's like by the time you get around to finding out what Ann wants that nobody's listening anymore or, <laughs> or whether it's just 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 the way I'm I'm wired. But for me, uh anger kind of it simmers inside. It'll simmer inside usually until I can think through what that anger is telling me. And so you know whether it's telling me that that I feel like i've been done wrong or is it you know because i want when i figure out what what that anger is telling me and then then it's more productive to change change what's causing the anger rather than the anger being the action Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah
1: so the anger doesn't necessarily come out externally
2: no Except, you know, once my kids, <laughs> kids, my kids are all in their 30s now. They're they're much easier to handle.
1: I get it. I get it. I'm, you know, my kid is little, so I understand the short views sometimes.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's like just do it. I'm the mom, and I said, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, and and when I when I see justice issues, and and they're everywhere, and I think the things that I'm passionate about they show up when I have alone time when I'm sitting by my sewing machine sewing or I'm out riding my horse in in the mountains and and I use those times to listen to what God's trying to put in front of me and sometimes it's 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 a person that I haven't talked to for a long time or it's up to me to pay attention to those 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 people that are brought to my to mind and then it's up to me whether I pay attention and I act and usually when I act it's like oh that person really needed somebody to talk to today or they they've hit a roadblock that you know something I said helped with or I'm just just really simple basic things that really aren't extraordinary Mm -hmm. my voice which I don't think is extraordinary it shows up just when somebody needs it.
0: Anyone who knows you has experienced that. Hey, um, as you think about some of the the things in our world that are broken these days, and maybe maybe I'll even narrow it down: the things that are broken in our community or in our country. What what are the things you know as you're as you're sewing and or and or as you're out riding your horses that are what do you think are the ways, the things that we, yeah, as a church, but maybe we as the Christian community, and we can narrow it down to like the Canadian context of the Christian community. What are the things that you think God might be inviting us to kind of wade slowly into here? And, and then what would that look like? If you could wave your magic wand, so to speak, mm-hmm. how would we do that?
2: <laughs> we value people. Because of what they can, especially Western culture and government, especially they value people who are productive. They value they value you if you can um, hold down a job and pay taxes and and consume goods. And that's not what the Bible tells us, mm-hmm. right? The Bible tells us that that we are worth something because we're God's creation, that He created us, and that's. That's fundamental when you're thinking about social justice, Mm -hmm. because if people only have value because they're productive members of society, then what happens to the infirm, what happens to the, um, you know, the, the people with mental illness, what happens to the poor, there's just so many people that, and I, and I hear it in my own in my own family in my own circle that says, you know, if they're not if they're not productive or they're you know they've got issues that keep you keep them from being productive that they're not worth anything. But they are. But places where we can um, lean in. My dad was a good example of being servants. And when I think about servants, I think about. Your waitress at your favorite coffee shop, or you know, and we can take that into everything that we do. We can take that into taking time to know people's name, which is a pretty simple thing to do. Um, Be kind. Everybody's fighting a battle. You know, you talk about the the facade, right? And you know that that public face forward. You have no idea what they're dealing with. Well, that's kind of just on the individual side of things, but on a larger and more global scale. And I think that's it's harder for people to take that jump. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement, the indigenous indigenous ish, issues. You know, the residential school system, those kind of things. They're they're really big, big, and they're heavy. But um, I think educating yourself on that is is a big part of being an activist. And for me, it's that going through this, the truth and reconciliation recommendations this summer, whew, that's heavy reading. Mm-hmm. And that's just the recommendations. That's not reading through the stories that brought those on. You can you can use that knowledge and you can use it to understand people better, to uh, listen to people who are on the margins. Maybe maybe to act, but maybe maybe it's not your place to act. Maybe it's your place to be the cheering squad on the sidelines. If you're part of an organization, um, like if you're in church leadership, if you're in a position of a managerial position at work, or look for places where your organization has barriers to people participating, you know, whether it's language barriers, whether it's accessibility issues, whether it's policies if it's keeping somebody out, you know, th- those are things that, yeah, we do have, we do have power to change those things. Yeah.
0: Even, even I would add in their financial, I think one of the interesting things and that this will not be popular when I'm about to say, but I do find it's interesting, like even with the pandemic and how many you know kids sports haven't been able to take place and, and just how upsetting mm-hmm. that that has been to, to so many families, me included, you know, I, my kid didn't get to play soccer yeah. and Caroline didn't get to do dance and, some of those things. And it's like, there was one point last year, I was just reminded that I'm like, do you know a good portion of our culture can't afford to send their kids to do anything? Mm -hmm. Like they're not, they don't, they're not paying for their kids to be in some extracurricular activity. And, and that is, that is actually something that's reserved for the privileged.
2: Even basic financial things that, that you and I probably take for granted, like, you know, going to the bank, having a bank account, Um, having Mm -hmm. a credit card, understanding the, understanding what a credit rating is. um, When we were up in, in up North, I don't think they had a bank the first few years we were up there. And my brother, my, one of my older brothers ended up, Further north, he ended up in Nunavut working there, but they had no bank. So mm. their bank was a tab at the grocery store. If they did have money, it wasn't in the bank, it was cash or it was it was credit on their tab. When they wanted to buy, to get out of renting and to buy um, just a trader in the trader park, when they moved to Alberta, they had no credit. He couldn't, it, it was hard for him to look the bank man or the loans manager in the eye. Hmm. and that's that's foreign to me too it's like he's just a person you know he's got a power to say yes or no but you know he's not not any better or worse than i am so you can have an equal to equal conversation but if you have been in a society where your your culture and your personhood has lessened has been lessened it's hard for those people to look somebody in the eye And
0: and and i do also think that you know like you talked about this earlier we stereotype people And we do stereotype Mm -hmm. some people as trustworthy and some people as not. And or some people as intelligent and some people as not so intelligent and not, not doing the work internally in ourselves to know that bias is a really, well, it's a really dangerous thing, especially for us who, who want to work towards doing justice, like making right the brokenness in our, in our world. That's a, you know, that. Story you just told is such an interesting one because I it actually is not one I've considered to be honest with you. Right, I'm 47 and I've always had you know I remember getting my first bank account you know mm-hmm. as, a, as a kid you know and it was yeah. like and there was never any money in it. And then when I wanted to get a loan, I still got one.
2: Yeah, and then the other part of the story is that the same person who would not have been able to get a loan without a cosigner, he is the one that in his home community will go out and hunt. And he'll bring it back and he'll share it with all the elders in his community, even if that means that he has nothing for the end of the month. It's like, you know, what has value? We got to weigh those things out, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do you think for you, you said that you're like growing up with your dad, you like your parents were obviously servants, but what the experience you had up north, how did that shape you for how you pay attention to the world now and the places that you see barriers Like you mentioned some of it, but was it just growing up with your parents that helped shape your way you looked at the world or did that experience up North really change coming out living in Alberta now?
2: I think, I think very much it's a combination of both. It's, it's taking that, that the things that I learned when I was young and then testing to see how it worked in other places, Mm -hmm. in other cultures, other situations. The time up North was, interesting in watching how how they valued their community and you know it goes back to the the western culture of individualism consumerism that wasn't such a big value up there i remember so it's a fly in fly out community we had two trips that the company supplied for us to fly back to alberta a year So often it would mean, you know, when you write your list of your grocery list or your shopping list and it's like, oh, I wrote this on the list. But you know what? We flew out four months later and you know what? I did it without it for four months. Do I really need it? Is it a want or is it a need? I think that time was kind of the beginning for me of recognizing that how entrenched it is in our culture to be a consumer and how much that consumerism is is individual oriented.
0: Yeah. I think you've totally named something just so so profound, right? Like the, your life experience in Norman Wells in particular taught you what you need and what you want. And you might be one one of the few people that came back and remembered. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you didn't just come back to a place of affluence and go nuts. I might do. I, I think my <laughs> personality would be like now I can have everything so I should.
1: Or like, you, like for us, I would say something like you live there for longer. So, but like when you go to Haiti yep. and you look around and you, you see things differently and then you come yep. back and live in our context, sometimes it's easy to forget the mindset of putting the community first.
0: That's a great example. Cause I often have, I've often, well, I've said it out loud to people that it's like my yearly trip to Haiti keeps me grounded in what's important. And every, it seems like every year I need to be reminded of what's important. And, and I think in getting caught up in the consumption aspect of our culture, we forget about the other often. I think that's one of the, the hidden byproducts. You, you just forget about the hurting, the broken, the suffering around us.
2: And I, and I think if you if you go back to the early church in Acts and they shared everything, mm-hmm. I'm like, how far are we as, as a, you know, Western Canadian Church how far are we from that we share everything yeah Th-
0: these yeah. these so- these are some of those things right when we think social justice when we think about the least in our community i do think that there there does require a sense of self-awareness as we as we approach different things that are broken in our culture and us recognizing our own brokenness i, I think that's been one of the mm-hmm. things and i would assume you would say this too that as we lean into topics of social justice whatever they might be. If we do that without doing any interior work in ourselves, I think we run the risk of doing more harm than good. People that I look up to most in terms of when it comes to social justice issues are, are people who are willing to say, this is, this is an issue and here's my issue too. For me even like, I am in an, an industry that sees a lot of brokenness. To be honest with you, the hard days are the days when I see my own but they're also the most authentic days and they are the days that I think make me a better pastor and a better advocate for others. And But if I'm not going to look at my own inconsistency and the places where I've done injustice.
1: And the um, places you have privilege. Yeah.
0: The places I have privilege, you know, I am a, hmm. like if ever in the last year it hasn't <laughs> it has been pointed out more, I am a white male. Every yes. room I walk into, I, I, I assume that I belong. Mm-hmm. And, and if I if I don't, then I actually feel like I have the right to demand it. And I look at the rest of the world, I go, this is such a privileged thing. Like, this is not the mindset mm-hmm. that the good portion of the rest of the world in Canada and in yeah. the rest of the world walk into a room feeling. and. And even as I talk to other white men, I, and I go, yeah, actually, that's a, that's an anomaly just for us. Like, that's just something that white (laughs) males feel. And they look at me, like I am pointing out something that's wrong with them. And I, I think this is something I would want to talk about that. It's like, I am not saying that something's wrong with a white man. I am saying to not recognize that you're seeing the world from a, position of privilege.
2: Yeah, that 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 sense of privilege has really been magnified over this COVID pandemic. And, and COVID's been been terrible. And, and you know, we're shut up in our homes. And, and when I when we think about it, and we talk about it, it's like, Oh, man, I don't like to wear the mask. And I don't like these restrictions. And I want to get together with my friends. And I want to go do things, you know, and I want to hug the people that I see that, you know, that I love and it's a it's an inconvenience for us Mm -hmm. as far as hardship it's not not been a hardship for us Mm -hmm. and that is a privilege it's a huge privilege you know you you talk about being a white man you know our culture really favors you know the us the caucasian people um and i dream i dream about heaven and what heaven's going to be like we're only we're only a small 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 little piece of this earth. And so I I know that heaven's going to be a lot more multicultural than anything that I've ever seen here on earth. And then I think, I wonder, I wonder how we can um, encourage a more diverse community locally. Mm -hmm. I wonder how we can draw people in that aren't like us, how to make them feel welcome, loved. And so it's like, okay, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know where my role is in that. I know God's going to put people in, in front of me I think it's it's up to me to invite them in to be hospitable with them. Today it might be dinner and conversation with somebody. I, I think uh, I think about people who come from places like Sudan, and they come from a place that's that's been war torn and violent, and kids have not had a childhood, and people with uniforms are not to be trusted, and they come here, and their first interaction with a police officer goes bad what's what's part of their story that that makes the reaction different how can we bring those people into our society and learn from what they had their experiences
0: i know like you know i've been engaging a little bit in some conversation with with some afghani folks here in our community and the fear for their for their direct relatives is off the charts and I am not afraid. I am not afraid. Any of my relatives right now breaks my heart just how out of control it feels for them. And so how do we, how do we talk about these issues from a faith perspective, from a, how does Jesus see this and try to be people of peace and comfort? I would say that we see social justice more often is how do I fight battles (laughs) for those who can't fight for themselves, but social justice also means to, to be a comforter and a peacemaker and a listener an to, to the hurting, An acknowledger, right, mm-hmm. of the hurts and wounds that are mm-hmm. present. Whether that's, you know, in our country right now, our Indigenous people, the rest of us are finding out something that our Indigenous people have known forever. And it's horrific mm-hmm. and it's terrible. And it, if we do not slow enough to acknowledge what has happened, we, we just run the risk of perpetuating this issue and, and mm-hmm. making it even worse because we're, now we're not ignorant. It's pretty hard right now to stay ignorant on, on our residential schools and what's going on there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and I do think there does come a point, right, where we do have to say, say these things and point these out, things out to each other so that we remind ourselves that, like you said earlier, created in the image of God,
1: I have one more question for you, Anne. Do you ever get overwhelmed by the amount of like social justice issues or things or brokenness that you see in the world? Like, does that ever overwhelm you?
2: Yeah, that's it. Does overwhelm me. You still have to step back and say, you know, where where am I able to have influence? You know, and where 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 would my roadblocks be? Is that person or that issue is that something that's within that arm's length? reach of of what I can do or help. it doesn't mean those larger issues aren't important. I think it's still important to think globally and see what's happening as a larger picture because those those issues also those issues also, also inform what happens locally.
0: As I was listening to you talk and I, I think that this is this is really important and that is that it's like we each have to kind of ask ourselves you know what's mine to do? And I don't think we just need to ask ourselves. I think we need to ask ourselves. We need to ask for, for God's words in that. And even the community of people around us, like our close community that, that can help to inform us. And so, and that does come a point where even for me in my own, my own life, and we, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but like one of the places where I, I can find my sanctuary, where I, I gather my thoughts, I listen for God's words, is when I'm working in the shop. And I think when it comes to social justice and and in our particular context, our world, you, you can Google brokenness in this world. Like the brokenness in your world is accessible at the, at the ends of your fingers. And it can be very easy to become overwhelmed and weighted down by that. And I think this is the place where listening for God, where where we actually listen, God, you know, through your Holy Spirit, can you tell me what's mine to do something about? What's mine to carry? Okay. And and can you tell me what I can set down and let others carry? And so trying to help even for those who are listening to kind of say, what does it mean to listen to the voice of of God? About what's breaking your heart that you could join in God, in what God is already doing. That's, that's one of the things that we always want, I always want people to hear is that God is already at work in, in these broken places. It's not like you're the only one who's bringing in Jesus into this thing. You know, it's like, so recognizing that you are simply wading into water that Jesus is already in. So how can we join in that with them?
2: Well, and it, it also, if you're, if you're spread too thin and, and you have too much on, on your plate, then you're not as effective either. Yeah. Find find something that you're passionate about and and pursue it.
0: I hope that we've covered a lot of of interesting ways that you've grown in and, and you've demonstrated yeah. for us in your in your life. Your the example of your life is a testament to the ways in which you have leaned into uh, loving others and in particularly mm-hmm. loving others who are not like you. Mm-hmm. And um, always. The example you live is stronger than the words we speak uh, in so many ways, and you definitely are an example of that uh, for us. And I hope that um, those who are listening will will consider, you know, what is it that God's asking you to lean into and what Mm -hmm. does that look like for you? Yeah. It yeah, was awesome. Thank you. It was awesome. And I think this is going to, ho- I actually think this is going to be really informative for people in terms of as they think through what it means for them to be social justice people.
1: Thank you. <laughs>
0: thanks. See you later.
1: Hey, thanks for joining us. We'd love if you take a moment to rate, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, thanks for listening.